the rental is doing fine. It's cash flowing. We're, we're not having any, you know, too big of issues with it, but there's just, so there's some kind of void, like something doesn't, the, the fire that was under me prior isn't necessarily quite there anymore. I'm like, this isn't exactly what I thought it would be. Hey, everybody. Connor and I work really hard to try to bring the best podcast in cell storage that we can. We ask a lot of guests, we do a lot of research, and a lot of work goes into it. If you could help us out by leaving a review, it's so easy. You just go down on whatever device, Spotify, Apple, whatever you're using, leave a great review. It really helps us out. Thanks, everybody. What's going on, everybody? Connor here from the Self Storage Income Podcast. I am super excited to jump into today's episode. But first, we've got to give a huge shout out to our incredible partners and sponsors. If you're looking to develop or build a self-storage facility, whether that's a brand new facility or maybe you want to expand, Forge Building Company is going to be a phenomenal partner for you guys to check out and potentially partner with. They specialize in working with investors and developers, whether you're new or you're seasoned in the self-storage industry. A huge problem that people make is they think that self-storage is just that. It's just self-storage. It's not a big deal. However, there are ways to value engineer building self-storage that uh, a lot of engineers a lot of structural that just they don't quite understand. If you're not using someone like Forge Building Company to come in and value engineer that storage facility for you, you're going to end up spending a ton more money than you need to be. You want to keep those costs low when you're developing. You want to control those costs, and that means you need to work with the experts. Forge Building Company is that expert. Link is in the show notes. Check them out. There's no two ways about it. The self-storage industry is one of the most incredible industries to be a part of. One of the big, huge things that self-storage has been absolutely lacking, though, is technology, and that's where Tenant Inc. comes in. Tenant Inc. is your one-stop shop solution for all things property management. They have a plethora of amazing tools at your fingertips that you can use to optimize your facility, to run it as smoothly and efficiently as possible to maximize revenues and to really drive value of your storage facility. Be sure to check out Tenant Inc. Link is in the show notes. Welcome everybody to Self Storage Income. And I am so excited about today's podcast because we are interviewing a very busy man. Uh, he is a PA. He has well, almost two kids here very, very soon. And um, he is also a storage owner as well as a laundry mat owner. And so how he's juggling his job, everything else, this is an awesome subject that I love considering I've been there and that's how I started. So with that, Brandon, how you doing? Doing well, doing well, AJ, how are you? Doing great. Now, um, we were talking before we jumped into this, and uh, you were saying you're out of Illinois. You got to state this because it's Nashville, but it's it's not the Nashville. It's the other Nashville. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's actually a Nashville. I think there's a Nashville, Indiana as well, but but we're in Nashville, Illinois. So we're we're kind of an hour outside of St. Louis, um, and yeah, not not Nashville, Tennessee. So our population is a little bit smaller. We come in at like 3,200. So. Quite a, quite a smaller market than Nashville, Tennessee, but yeah, we're here in Southern Illinois. A lot of people, when they think of Illinois, it's just Chicago, but there's a lot of states south of Chicago that's, that's still considered Illinois, and it's not just Springfield. <laughs> yes, that is very true. I, uh, 
And I mentioned to you, my wife is from Kansas City. So, yeah. uh, you know, go out there, see her family. We're obviously investing in the Midwest as well as the Southeast. Um, and for a, for a guy out of Idaho, it's so different because there's so many cities there where yeah. you just, there's more, more yeah. options. There's- there's definitely a, there's a lot of land, but the thing is you've got to convince the farmers to sell you the land. That's the that's the thing. It's a land grab between all the farmers. So whatever looks like a, a good good ground to potentially build a storage facility, I'm, I'm probably sure that an, a farmer owns that, and you got to talk to them and see if you can get that off their hands. That's the tough thing about being out here in the Midwest. Yes, hundred <laughs> percent. I've actually dealt with that out there. So uh, we've gotcha. looked in a few places in uh, Ohio and elsewhere, and we're like, come on. But yeah, no, that is. Now, hey, before we jump even more into this, before we get into building bike, all that kind of stuff, uh, your PA, give me a, give me a background uh, here. So you're, you're obviously have a job, a very busy job. Uh, so talk to me, talk to me about that. Yeah, so I'll kind of start with just the basics. So I'm 29 years old. I graduated from PA school at the University of Kentucky um, in 2019, go Cats. So did that, you know, out of undergrad, spent, like I said, three years um, in Lexington. And then we decided that we wanted to be back close to the family because we wanted to raise a family of our own. And our family is here in Illinois. So the plan was to move back, um, find a job. Luckily, my brother works in the same orthopedic clinic as I do. And he's been there a number of years and kind of he was my foot in the door. He was like, hey, if you want a job, I think I got one for you. I'm like, well, um, sounds like a plan. So that all came together nicely. And then kind of on the back end, as I'm going through school, studying nightly, you know, taking exams, learning what it takes to become, become a PA, um, I'm listening to Bigger Pockets, you know, podcasts in the background whenever I'm making the drives from Illinois to Kentucky. And my wife, Chelsea, I'm driving her nuts because she's she I, I feed her as much real estate as she'll um, listen to. But she's got a limit. She's not she's not at the same level as I am, but um, understands the, the value that's there with it. So um, many years in PA school, it was kind of foundational for my real estate um, kind of career, if you will. Just getting the backbone, learning the basics, what all the industry terms mean and kind of for the longest time. I always thought, you know, residential, that's where I'm going to start. It kind of just feels, for whatever reason, it feels like that's where you should start, right? You buy your single family yes. house, you get a you get a tenant, and you scale from there. Brandon Turner, you know, you, you, yep. you do one, and then you do a duplex, and then a, a quad, whatever. Um, that so was my that. same, same yeah. thought, too. It's like, I yeah. need to start residential. Exactly, yeah. So that's how we got our feet wet. So we, got, we bought a single family house with actually my brother-in-law, um, and sister and my wife, we were all on it, formed our own LLC. Um, we called that small batch 17. So we bought that house, uh, right during COVID that would have been, um, April of 2021 actually. So we've got tenants in there. Everything is going well, but there's just, so there's some kind of void, like something doesn't, the, the fire that was under me prior, isn't necessarily quite there anymore. I'm like, this isn't exactly what I thought it would be. So, you know, we're, the rental's doing fine. It's cash flowing. We're, we're not having any, you know, too big of issues with it. Um, and then I think 
I don't know how I got turned on to you, AJ. I don't know if it was through, I think it was through Brit actually on Instagram yeah. because I spent, I kind of built up an Instagram through or for PA students, um, yeah. created a YouTube channel, made videos through Brit. Obviously I, I, I found you and yeah. then bought your book, read it and thought, this is exactly what we have to do. So um, right around. Got ya. Got ya. Yeah, yeah. It happens. Trust me, it happened to me too. Yeah, I know, right? So um, I, I remember it vividly. It's last July. I'm working out and in my mind, so my best friend's dad owns a storage facility here in town, right? We have two in town. Um, he has one of them. This, uh, my best friend, he was the best man on our wedding. Grew up with his family, know his parents well. His dad's kind of a local business um, guy. He's got his own financial firm. They're now, and they actually have an office in, in Coeur d'Alene now. So they're oh, kind of cool. all throughout the country. Yeah, yeah. So they're doing really well with that. Um, but I know that they're traveling a lot. They have grandkids. The, the storage thing, while it, it was a focus, you know, 10, 15 years ago, now they're just kind of um, getting by with it, not really putting all the time and attention to it like they used to. So I'll reach out to him while I'm working out, shoot him a text. Hey, his name's Brian. Hey, Brian, um, you know, been interested in real estate. We have a single family house. Didn't know if you'd ever be interested in selling. Immediately responds, yeah, we're busy with everything else. I'd love to sit down and talk to you. I'm like, <laughs> did not expect it to happen that fast. So yeah. they own, yeah, they own kind of a bar in our town. Um, and my first facility tour, we, uh, we take our, we walk out of the bar got our beers in our hands, walk, we walked through the laundromat, we walked through the storage facility, um, and kind of talked financials, um, asked for the necessary information, and uh, kind of the rest is history, and that's where, we, where we're at, where we currently are, so how we got here, at least. <laughs> now, the storage facility came with the laundromat. Yeah, yeah, the deal was, we said, hey, you know, the storage facility looks awesome, Let's, we want to buy that, and, and he was like, if you buy the storage facility, you have to buy the laundromat. We're like, all right, well, let's look at the financials and see what it takes to run a laundromat because never in my mind did I think I would own a laundromat or we would own a laundromat and I'd be working on washing machines, but here we are in August and I'm fixing water valves and replacing boards on dryers. So yeah. <laughs> you never know what life throws at you. So yeah, um, yeah. And, and the way it works, I don't blame it because the laundromat's built kind of within the storage facility there's really no way to separate it because behind the laundromat our storage units built into that same building so um yeah we looked over all the finances and um i'm still young in my career and and my wife's a project manager but she, i mean we do well for ourselves for being kind of young professionals but um we're like we're gonna need help with this down payment so if you can help us out there then i think we might be onto something so he shot a price to us um he said, you know, $675,000 for everything. So we're talking basically 20,000 total square feet. A um, little less than 2,000 of that is the laundromat. The remainder is all storage. Um, so that was his price. And we said, you know what? We're not even going to negotiate with you. We'll take the 675 if you carry the 20% down payment. And he agreed to do that. And that's... Uh, and how much was the carry on, or the it was 675 total how yeah. much was the portion that he took as the down payment so it was let me do the quick math here so we also i'll, I'll tell this story in a second so 20 percent, so 135 and then we baked in an extra twenty thousand to help us with closing costs 
So we mm -hmm. said 155. And then there's a lot of back and forth. So there's a billboard on this on the property too, where the storage units are. And we we're working with our attorneys trying to get the ingress egress worked out to, to do it all legally in case we would ever sell. So he'd be protected, you know, what have you. Yep. And like two weeks before closing, I'm like, what do you want for the billboard? And he was like, how about 15,000? I'm like, if you, if we just put it in with the seller financing, you got it. It adds like 50 bucks to our payment to him. So we ended up just buying the billboard while we were at it. So that, that was included. So I guess you could say him, it was the 135 plus the 20. So that's 155. So 170, I guess, total is what yeah. he carried. Yeah. Yeah. And so, what, what was that rate? It's, oh, 5% interest only for five years. So yeah. Yeah. And then five yeah. years and then you pay it off. Exactly. Yeah. The plan. So we've increased, we've done a lot of value add so far. So um, plan is to pull cash out, pay him off on it free and clear, and then hopefully have some additional equity to roll into another facility, which we plan. I, I mean, ideally I would do that before five years from now, because um, I just, I love this asset class and everything that it has to offer. So now walk me through here, the 675, what was the loan? So you're at whatever that is, 550. What, what was the, the loan on that? What was the interest rate for the loan? So it's funny because we're in such a different environment now that whenever we were doing this, so it, the appraisal took forever. This was right now time frame. We're talking like fall um, 21 and interest yeah. rates just keep going down, right? It's still yes. in that environment. So we were waiting forever for our appraisal and we didn't honestly, we didn't. So I think we agreed we had, the, we had a contract as of like April or September 21 we didn't get to the finish line until February 1st. So we were waiting on an appraisal this entire time. It took forever. So in the meantime, months are going by. I reach out to our bank. I'm like, hey, can we get a better rate? We're at 4%. They, they got us down to 3.9%. So, <laughs> and then literally February happened, we closed and then it wasn't much longer to the spring. Now interest rates are going back up. So our timing, while it was pure luck, um, we were so fortunate that we did it when we did because it's everything is different now. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. Um, now, walk me through here. Uh, first of all, this, uh, your structure home run, right? Obviously, yeah. Um, owner carries, uh, which we, we're going to talk. I'm going to talk a little more about that because I, I not only have some questions, I, I want to go into this. Uh, walk me through here your revenue prior to acquisition. So what was the yeah. gross revenue on this thing and how, what expenses were he, was he running it out and what was your net? Like what was the financial month to month outlay looking like on this thing? Yeah. So the laundromat that was per year, it was pretty, pretty standardized and, and um, you could pretty much bet on it making about 45,000 a year gross. And then um, storage was 50 to 55,000, give or take. Um, expenses, as far as laundromat is concerned, that's it. Laundromats are, they're a great revenue stream, but the one thing you have to account for is the maintenance and repairs on those machines. Um, mm -hmm. So that's, that's higher. And I don't know exactly what his expense ratio was. I think it was that when, thinking back to, to those, those documents, I think it was around 40, 45%. Um, and then for storage, I mean, he had a maintenance guy, but you, you know, storage, I mean, there's yep. not a whole lot you need to do with it. There was, 
there was uh, quite a bit of deferred maintenance, which we've taken care of. We've luckily um, got a repair guy on board who's helped us tremendously with uh, just replacing springs and, and moving uh, tracks on doors, just numerous things that he's taken care of now over the last few months that have been huge for us because previously the previous owner was just going in and fixing doors, kind of just pounding them back in place when they come off the track, whenever tenants would call and say, Hey, my door's off the track. And he quickly go in, put it back in place. But now that we have a repair guy, um, he's fixed all of those issues with us. And we've taken care of all that deferred maintenance now. Um, but there was a, what was the second part to your question? So um, then what was, so what was the net on the self storage off that 55 gross? Yeah. So let me look back. I think I've got a, let me pull up a document here real quick, if you don't mind. No, not at all. Yeah. Let's see. So I love deconstructing these deals to understand opportunity. It's hindsight's obviously 2020 as we yeah. all, all know. Um, and a lot of people believe and I feel like they think that, well, times have changed. That used to be good. It's not anymore because of interest rates, whatever, you know, whatever it is. Right. And, in, you know, I remember we were, when we were buying deals in a big way, when we got in, we were spending like, I mean, we had some deals that we were paying 26 bucks a square foot. Other yeah. deals we were paying, you know, 35 bucks a square foot. And this is a right. big difference. And the price went up over, you know, three year period of time. And we're just like this, you know, you want 50 bucks a square foot. This is crazy. Yeah. And we slowed down buying and that was tragically a mistake. Um, obviously it's, uh, was a bad thing to do to compare the past to the present to try to equate value. Yeah. The, um, and I learned my lesson from it, uh, that what had basically doubled in three years that it's like, that doesn't make sense. These aren't deals anymore, right? My yeah. past was making me biased to the present yeah. and to the future. And I was associating cost with value. And uh, I see this just repeated over and over and over again with people. Um, in different ways, upside down or up down, they think that because it's less, it costs less today than it did uh, six months ago, it's now better value. Yeah, that's not true, right? Yeah, absolutely. And um, that can absolutely kill you when you're trying to grow and also find deals. Like you, you don't, you're not looking through it from an actual deal standpoint. That's why I love doing the deal breakdown where we're looking at the fundamentals versus the cost what you can do, where you can do with it at any given time. It, I, I don't care if the market's up, sideways, or down. Um, all focus should be on the deal. So going through these and understanding that better really gives us that kind of perspective and understanding you know, opportunity and what you can do with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, something I've recognized in kind of recent history in your podcast, that's one thing that you continually harp on is that you don't, you guys don't rely on the market to make you or break you. I mean, it more often it's probably going to break you than it actually makes you. If you just focus 100%. on the deal and the cash flow, when literally what's on on the paper in front of you, you're going to be far better off than 
you know, buying the asset and then waiting for the market to do what it's supposed to do and get your return from the market. And then, you know, things go south, interest rates go up and now you're in a totally different situation. So hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm looking here. I don't think I have their exact uh, NOI in front of me. I do know they were, they were making accelerated payments on their, their debt. So um, what was it after you took it over? Just like first month roundabout, like at, you know, you pay the, you've got a gross here of whatever we're talking about. That's like a hundred and call it 10, right? Yeah. We were on, I guess a hundred, I guess with laundromat and storage combined. So um, let me look at, so my pro forma, what I had down was, you know, month one, if we, if we take over, literally just take the keys from them um, and don't do anything else, run everything kind of similar to how, how they were doing it around a thousand, you know, 1300 cash flow a month. One of the best ways to increase value of your storage facility is to integrate tech to improve operations, right? So Janus International actually has their no key technology. It's a keyless access entry system that allows not only the access and entry to the gate, to the building, to the unit, it allows tenants to, and potential tenants to actually come in and rent a unit online, right? They can access online, see what units are available, rent the unit, access the building, the unit, everything straight from their phone without ever having to go to the office to do any kind of paperwork, do any kind of that kind of to do any kind of paperwork or any of that, which is an incredible amount of value for so many people and that user expectation that people have in today's marketplace. Again, Janus International, their Noki system, be sure to check that out. Link is in the show notes. If you guys are looking to purchase your first storage facility, you just might be looking at the SBA loan approach and one of the best and most efficient places to get your SBA from is going to be Live Oak Bank. These people know self-storage. They've been in the industry for a very long time. They're very knowledgeable. You don't have to educate them on the underwriting, on how you're, you're valuing self-storage, any of that. These guys are incredible at valuing self-storage. They know how to underwrite it, and they are a phenomenal solution for you and your financing needs in all things self-storage. Again, Live Oak Bank. You're looking at then Let's call so the it net, the net would, would have been like 60,000, I guess. That was yeah. the NOI off of this is both combined. So, one, one thing we did differently though was we set up two LLCs. We had the laundromat in one and storage in the other. That's really good. That's 100% so, how you should do it. You definitely don't want uh, those to be leaking in. So, essentially, you, you look at it, you're buying this thing at like a nine cap, whatever. Now, right. I, I'm assuming, though, that a lot of that, too, is in expenses not included, right? So, like, I'm sure it was kind of like you need to do marketing, things like that, that maybe they probably weren't doing at all, correct? Deferred yeah. maintenance, things like Deferred that. Deferred maintenance is probably the biggest thing. Um, we've still, we've got no money in our marketing budget. Um, we're we're full. Uh, north. We have kind of two. It's, it's one facility, but then... I've got to show you the before and after pictures. We had Janice come in. So these, basically the way it worked, kind of on the north end of our town, it's all more industrial. That's where kind of what we call like the main campuses, if you will, of our storage buildings. We have um, the six buildings there with the laundromat, um, 120 or so units out there. And right now, 118 out of the 120 are, are filled up. So 
we're doing well out there. But then they also threw in these other two buildings kind of in our kind of our downtown in town area. Um, <laughs> doors falling off the hinges, wood trim all rotted out. They're like, you know, we'll just we'll, we'll throw this into the deal. We were just going to tear them down. So I went through, opened some of the doors. You know, the plywood's in good condition. It's all concrete floors. I'm like, I think if we get new doors on this, we can turn these two buildings around and have 40 more units to, to run out to people. So look, Janice right now is they've replaced half the doors for us. They're coming back later this week to do the rest of them. But the, the difference um, is massive and just how it looks. It, it totally changed the, the appearance of the facility and, and literally brought it up to um, a first class kind of facility, especially for our town. I mean, we're kind of I don't even know if you would call us a fifth tier, maybe sixth tier market. So we're we're a very small market, but um, what's the population? Thirty two hundred. But what's interesting? So I know you know storage is a very localized market. Yes, you know, a couple miles, right? But yep. what's interesting, you know, as you go out into a rural setting, obviously that changes. So we, it's almost like you just take into account the whole, the entire county as a whole. That's, that seems like that's what our market is. We actually get people from the county to the south of us that come up and have rented our units from us already. Because we, we have a lot of, um, in, we have kind of blue collar uh, industrial jobs right next door to, to the storage facility. So we get a lot of um, commuters back and forth. So I, I think we draw attention in that regard. Our location is awesome. We're right on a, a very busy highway. So um yeah, our, our market is, is very different than what you would typically see in a kind of a, a first or second tier market. And what, how did it, so first of all, I'm looking at this and you're going, okay, you've got this thing for under a million, um, substantially under a million. Uh, you're like 675, right? Yeah. Taking that kind of NOI, I mean, day one, you could argue, even with some increased expenses, um, you know, six cap, you're almost at a million. So you clean it up, you put software in there, you have incur some larger expenses, maybe through deferred maintenance, things like that. But it doesn't matter because just by operating a well, cleaning it up, you're saying that you could turn around and probably sell it for more. So you've got this spread of probably 200,000 in equity, right? Day one, yeah. um, you're going in, you're adding 30 more units, which how many, what is the total amount of units out of that 20,000? Right around 160, right around 160, yeah. All right, yeah. so you're gonna increase, uh, you know, by 10%, let's just easy math here, 10% uh, on your 110 plus thousand. So, you know, you're gonna add on to that net operating income of 60,000 at minimum 10,000. So you're already at a another seventy thousand. Um, that's it, that add-on right there is another what hundred and something thousand. So just yeah. add-ons, you increasing expenses, but you know, kind of building it up that way, you you quickly added enough equity to cover what the carry owner carry is at one hundred fifty-five thousand. I think that, I mean, all yeah. day. Yeah, yeah, no, no, you got it. And AJ, the, like two months into this, we did our first rate increase, 10% across the board. Nobody messaged us, nobody batted an eye. I mean, I think they expected it with inflation and everything else, but 
what we did because we're, you know, I was born and raised here. I kind of know what this town is like, what it expects. So um, we sent out, you know, individual postcards to everyone with our, with our logo on it. We kind of rebranded everything, put the logo on it, made it really nice and said, Hey, you know, we're going to bump everyone up 10%, but the plan is we're going to install better security and better lighting across the board for the entire facility. And I think people saw that and, and thought, this isn't just a new owner. They're actually going to try and improve. So, you know, it was, it, it went over well. And like I said, nobody, nobody complained, nobody called and maybe they grumbled against their friends, but yeah, nobody moved out. And, and at the end of the day, I think that says it all. So, so you're talking about a 10% increase in gross revenue um, plus a 10% increase in overall units you more more in units actually so what we found out uh, kind of an interesting thing here and there was more so almost an error on on our part just because we had never done this before um being naive um and just kind of learning as we go we you know drive through the facility see all the units with locks on them all right awesome we're fully occupied right first month ownership going down the rows i have my you know my sheet in front of me who's paid who hasn't right all of a sudden i'm seeing units that aren't showing up on our on our property management right i'm like what in the world is this this person doesn't exist in this unit so i call the previous owner you guys know who's in this unit no that lock's been on there for years we have no idea Yep. I'm like, huh. All right. Talk to our attorney. Hey, what's the best way about, you know, going about going about this to, to figure out what to do with this. So end of the day, we posted a sign that said you have 30 days to notify us or the previous owner about who you are. So we can, you know, start charging you. Nobody responded, opened them up a month later, nine out of the 10 are empty within a number of weeks. We had all of those turned around, rented out. So on top of that, so that was value add right there. They had what they call the accumulator units. So when people moved out, they would hold on to things and then just storm away in a unit. It was kind of theirs to hold on. They put their kids through school. You know, they had couches and bed frames, dressers, what have you, that they just held on to for various uses. So we got them to clean out all of those units and kind of consolidate everything into one big unit that was 1,500 square feet. They used to have like a, a commercial tenant in there. Um, so we got them to put everything in this big unit. We're like, all right, great, everything is rolling. It was a Saturday in March or April. I get a phone call um, from this. I don't know if I can say who it was. It was someone who does freight. You know, they do a lot of shipping and receiving. Yeah. So they're like, hey, do you have a large unit available? We want to. We want your facility to kind of be our hub to connect us from kind of the St. Louis area to Southeast Missouri, Southern Illinois. I'm like, we've got a unit available. Let me get back with you. So I talked to the previous owner. Hey, sorry, you guys are going to have to get out of this unit, unit as fast as you can. So the plan for that unit before I got a phone call from this individual was to convert it to 10 by 10s. Um, it was just 1,500 square feet, big kind of open warehouse, if you will. Um, so that was supposed to happen in like year two. Take this large unit, convert it to all 10 by 10s. We're going to have like 10, 10 by 10 units out of that thing. So we didn't do that. We just started charging them 700 bucks a month. And then we got them to sign a 12 month lease with us. So right off the get within, you know, three to four months, 
we've got 10 units rented out that um, were empty that had locks on them with um, the previous owners thought maybe there was someone in there, maybe not. We've got the large 1500 square foot unit out at 700 bucks a month. Um, we've got our 10% rate increase and we're now offering tenant protection. Uh, on top of that, we have DaVinci locks. Familiar with DaVinci, right? Yeah, so we, we rent those to tenants. Um, when they book with us, they get an automated message telling them what their code is on their lock to the unit. They love yep. that. So two bucks a month per lock if they want it. Great. If not, they drop it off in our laundromat in our Dropbox. So we've added value in so many ways. And now we've got these four units that we're about to open up to everyone and hopefully get those leased up within the next year. So, so um, based upon your changes now, what's your projected NOI? So we are at, you mean after these 40 units go up? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we will be, our gross will be like one, one sixty if you include the laundromat. So we went from 100 to 160. That was our gross before. So you're like at keeping the expense ratio the same. You're at like 120,000 net. Um, I have it a little bit lower, maybe like 103, 105. Okay. Yeah. So we went from 60 to currently right now, kind of around the 85 mark. Um, and then once once those other 40 units lease up will be just over a hundred thousand. So at so. your same cap rate that you purchased it on, your asset is now worth almost 1.3 million. Right. And if you went that to a cap rate that is more in line with actual markets, which you can get because you cleaned it up, now it's nice, right? right. Uh, so it's easier to operate, it's 1.7. So right now you're somewhere between 1.2 and 1.7 in the next, let's call it six months, right? Yeah. Worth of value. So whatever range from high to low, doesn't matter. You bought it for six, seven, five. So 675,000. Um, let's go just take the um, in-between. You've doubled the value. Yeah. Now, um, off that, if you go to refinance, a bank will use more in line of a cap rate. So they're not going to use the first one. They're going to use something like a six cap. That's standard, right? Yeah. You see. So with the six cap, you're at like 1.75. So if you refinance that at 1.75, you need to put 30% down, right? Right. So 500,000. Yeah. So take your 500,000 out. Now you are at uh, 1.2 million from the bank. You pay off all 675,000. You got the billboard too. That was the 15,000. Oh yeah, yeah. billboard yeah. too. Don't forget the billboard. <laughs> That's right, billboard. Call it 700,000. No yeah. matter, you're yeah. paying it all off. You're paying the owner carry. And you're pocketing more than the owner carry even is today. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? And you can probably do that in a year. Yeah. And we're doing that in a market with a population of 3,200 people. So it's like, if we can do that here in our small little town, like you can do that anywhere. Well, I'm smart. Seriously, dude, like I, I tell people this all the time. If I wanted to get higher yields, 
I would go into smaller markets. Yeah. So um, I've heard you say that before. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I cannot. People are like, well, yeah, but I'm not investing in big markets like you are. And I'm like, yeah, that's a disadvantage to me. I yeah. cannot get the yields. Now, yeah. I'm deploying capital at like 50 million pops. So yeah. I can't go into a small market anymore because that would erode away my returns because I have to deploy so much capital. Uh, yeah, but unless you're doing 50 million at a time pop, right? Yeah, your yield compared to mine, it's not comparable. Yeah, it's, it's just not. Yeah, I can't get yield out of assets in bigger markets that cost that much money for a lot of reasons. First of all, when you're deploying that much money, they're doing a good job. When you're buying 150 million in assets, they're not terrible. Right now, they're not good. So we're yeah. still buying assets that have no marketing, no anything else, no expansion. Right. Right? We're getting great returns, but we're not getting in one year a hundred plus percent return. Yeah, right? that's going to take me years, you know, three to five years to build yeah. up things like that. A yeah. lot of people don't understand this about particularly self storage. Um there is so much yield in these assets. The reason being is the big boys haven't moved into small markets. So all the owners have never had to compete. They've never optimized. They've never needed to. And their cost basis was so low that when you're buying them, it's like you could go in to an asset, they're 650,000. And you're like, based upon today's rates and everything, this is worth 2 million. But they're sitting here looking at it like I built it for two hundred and fifty thousand. Right. So I'm getting over double my money. So yeah. if you buy them, they get a huge windfall. It's yeah. a great investment to them. They've multiplied multi, uh, multiplied their original amount, which may have been fifty thousand dollars, and they're pay- pulling out a half a million. They've ten x yeah. plus the cash flow, and then for you, you're doubling the asset, which is three x your capital. It's a win win. Yeah, the owners are happy to sell it. They get a huge windfall. They've gotten depreciation, cash flow. You can streamline it more in line with today's markets, and you're getting returns that you just don't see, particularly in real estate. Yeah, yeah, and returns. I mean, I always um, refer back to residential, and it's like to just go from zero to 120 now, potentially up to 160 tenants. With one property, I mean, that would take, you know, multiple apartment complexes to get to that level of, to get to that scale. And with storage, it's everything, it's, it's just totally, it's a totally different ball game. And it just makes these returns. Like whenever I ran these numbers, I had no idea where we were at. I was just, you know, nose to the grindstone for the first four or five months. And then I sat down in June, like, let's see where we're at. And I ran the numbers, like you said, and I saw the returns. I hadn't, I mean... I knew we were doing well, but I didn't realize how good it was. And it was just, and this isn't, we haven't even talked about the laundromat. It's like, we're yeah, value there in a, in a totally different way. So yes. yeah, yeah, it's, it's been fun so far. It's so, you know, it's so powerful impact, which by the way, you still have your job, right? Exactly. Yeah. That yeah. brings us right back around. You're still working. Now yeah. I, I do have to ask you that this, all right, let's, let's talk about your job here. So how long would it take you to make, uh, do some math here. 
600,000, cut that down, 500,000 tax free. It's your job, right? Like, tax free. You, yeah. don't, you yeah. don't have to share that. It's, you know, yeah. The point being is, you're going to do that in one year. And on top of that, you still own the cash flowing asset. So yeah. let's say after all improvements and everything else like that, you get a new loan, interest rates are higher, and everything. So it's not that good. You're making $55,000 a year in cash flow, cut your net income in half, and you made $600,000, which yeah. can come back to you tax free because it's in the form of a loan. And you're exactly. still making 50 plus thousand dollars a year. On this formula, too, a lot of people don't realize you have a formula that can be repeated without your own money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, it, people always, the biggest issue is always the capital, right? It's like, I, how do I find the money to do this? And I, I love, I always, bigger pockets, it was always, you need three things. You know, Brandon, so you need three things. Um, you need money, you need knowledge, you need hustle. You don't, you yourself don't need all three. You need two of the three, but you need to go find that last one. And for, for me, for us, it was, I've got the hustle. I've got the knowledge. If I can find the money, we can do any deal. Like this is kind of a thing that drives me nuts when people use money as an excuse. I, if that is going to be your reason for not starting, don't ever start. Yeah. Because this is real estate. You'll never have enough money. I have yeah. never had enough money ever. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't, how am I supposed to do $250 million in every single year? Yeah. You think I do that with my own money? Yeah. No. So if you can't learn how to, without money, start a business, start investing in real estate and grow, you can't have it. Yeah. It, like, no, exactly. It, exactly. We are trained on consumerism. Yeah. I have to have money to buy something. That is not how the economy works. Yeah. At all. That's just not how it works. The money that is attributed to the economy is attributed to investments. It's sourced. It needs to be allocated. Banks have to spend money to get money. Other people need to spend money in the form of investors. You also have things like preferred equity that isn't quite mm -hmm. equity, but it's not quite debt. There's all of these endless layers of money, trillions of dollars that have to be moved through the economy. Business owners and investors are the ones that move the money through the economy. It doesn't mean they have it. They're the ones that move it. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. And I think one thing I want to point out, and it's kind of a mental shift, a hurdle that you have to go through whenever you're deciding to take that leap into, for us, this was a massive deal, right? We did one residential house and we bought that for 80 $6,000. I, we spent more money out of pocket closing on that house than we did on this deal. Cause we didn't bring any money to the table on this deal for the house. We had to split the down payment with my brother-in-law. So, you know, we spent six, $7,000 that we brought to closing this deal, totally different. And when you look at the numbers and you're looking at that debt service payment and you're factoring in, you know, with the seller financing payment, you're around $3,500 a month, $4,000 a month. I mean, the number of times that I ran through those numbers just to confirm, okay, this is what it is. Margin of stupidity, right? I'm like, so you always harp on margin of stupidity. I'm like, if we totally mess this up, how bad off are we going to be? If we go totally south, are we at least going to break even? And every time I ran the numbers, it was like, we'll at least break even. We're not going to lose that. We're not going to lose our shirts on this one. Um, I think we're going to make it. But you just... 
to, to take that leap and to do a deal like this, um, you just have to, to trust that the numbers work and that you've done your, your work on the front end and that it's just going to work out like it should. If you've done your homework, then it, it, sh it should work itself out essentially. But that was a tough thing for me going from one single family house to now a 20,000 square foot storage facility and laundromat. So um, yeah, big, big mental hurdle right there. You know, it, it really is. And it's hard to, I, I used to envision like the world was divided into two and the, the, I believe the government has created a curtain through its legalities between accredited investors, non-accredited investors, things like that, which a whole nother discussion of soapbox I'm not going to get on right now. But they, um, uh, and behind the curtain was how the world really, really worked, right? And um, on the other side of the curtain, that's where we're all introduced and that's, right, that's how, how we go. And we think the world works like that. And that mental hurdle of getting over the fact that the world doesn't actually work like this is hard. It's not just because the educational system teaches it, but it's because that's day to day. So if I go to a store, if I participate, anything I do day to day is on one side of the curtain, right? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it's only behind the curtain that brings things to the forefront that we don't see. So no one is exposed. It's so rare to be exposed to how it works. And then yeah. once you understand it better, and once you learn it, it's like the potential is unlimited. I yeah. don't need all these things that I thought I did because consumerism, I had to be rich to have the car. Exactly. Right? That's yeah. not how yeah. it works, though, the other way around. And uh, once you see behind it, though, man, you just can't not see it anymore, yeah. huh? Yeah, exactly. No, you got it right. Exactly. <laughs> so what are your plans now? You got this facility. You're doing an awesome job. You're doing all the right things, changing up doors, increasing lighting, security. You're improving the property. You're headed towards a refinance. You refinance the owner carry out. You take your money. You pocket the money that you can. Um, and where are you going? Are you wanting to do this side? Do you want it to, you're a PA? Do you want to move out of that? What are your plans? Yeah, yeah. So in my mind, I've always thought in the next maybe year or two years, kind of really look and find a second facility for ourselves. Um, you know, as interest rates go up, you've said it yourself, you've seen deals fall out of contract. Things are changing. There's There are going to be a lot of deals out there. So um, I think just kind of positioning ourselves strategically, holding on to cash, keeping good relationships with um, kind of investors, if you will, whether that's just family right now, people who have money that are sitting on the sidelines, just wanting to, to deploy it somewhere, um, keeping that in the back of our mind, and then definitely want to find a second facility. Um, we can't, I can't just stop at one at this point. So um, don't plan on retiring anytime soon. Um, like I said, uh, I love my job. Being a PA is a very rewarding career. I'm very blessed and fortunate to be in the field that I am because I know there's a lot of people who they get into real estate because they want to quit their nine to five. They want to get out of it. They, they're tired of their boss or whoever. Um, so I'm lucky in that regard. Um, I, that I wasn't me either. Yeah. Yeah. Because you were insurance, right? I was insurance and I, I was yeah. really good at it. And yeah. Yeah. Um, I liked it. Yeah. I'd grown up around it. It's all I knew. 
right? It was just like, and I just thought, oh, me and my dad are working together. I'm in control of my own income. I can make yeah. good money. And I wanted to build a career out of it because I thought there was a whole lot of potential. I was very worried though about having my income all from one place. I needed to, you know, all the things that we know, even if you love your job. Yeah. Two, also, I very much realized the power of that income. And this is something that I, I just, I think is so overdone. Quit your job, become an investor, things like that. And I always ask, okay, let's do this. What is that job worth to you? And you look at it both ways. Yes, jobs can hold you back, everything else like that. But let's just talk about what that job is worth. If you look at it from a real estate standpoint, in today's age, $100,000 is like, you're, you're, you're talking about like $2 million value. Mm-hmm. If you make $100,000 a year, you have a $2 million asset. Yeah. So getting rid of that $100,000 a year, right? Um, it's not just that that puts you back. It, it is a lot because if I have to buy a $2 million asset to make that, if I want to grow, well, then I need to save it up. I need to refinance. I need to do all these things to do it again, to do again. Losing my income sets me so far back because of the future potential. Yeah. Right. It, it, it really hurts me in that journey. So one of the big reasons I didn't want to quit or anything was because I wanted to fuel my real estate journey. And I knew that I was actually the biggest liability. Yeah. Right? I was yeah, like, yeah. I'm going to drain the company. Yeah. I need to, that money was so valuable because I realized 50,000 equals a million. Right. And to me, turning it around, everything else like that, it was actually like 50,000 was the equivalent of like 3 million when I did the math. And then 100 or 150,000, it was like five plus million. So I'm like, I can't quit my job. And so we built our real estate business for a decade without ever taking money out because it was too valuable to us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I've I've already thought, you know, what if, what happens if if I quit my job or something happens and I can't work anymore? You know, you had the whole situation with Guillaume Ray, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. So um, it can happen to anyone, right? Anyone, anytime. Yeah, yeah. So you look at it right now and if you have your W-2 job and you have an income, it's different whenever you have a side business, when you have a, a something in real estate that's making you money. I look at it now and I'm like, this is all extra. What we're doing right now, we're reinvesting to the business. I'm like, if I didn't have my, my primary income from my job right now, we look at things totally different, right? We're, I'm, I wouldn't say it would be less, I'm not really wasteful right now, but it would be much more, you know, we, we have to make this dollar this month. Otherwise, who knows what might happen because we're also trying to live off of this. We're, we're, we have to make this sustainable. But right now, this is all on the side. It's all kind of its own thing. Um, so it is, it's out there doing its own thing, making its own money while and we've got the W-2 jobs. Um, and those are our primary, primary means of, of income, what we live off of, whereas this is all kind of our savings vehicle. So um, 100%. Yeah. So it's, it's like, I it like this. people try to put it in one side or another. It's not, it's all one. Yeah. And it's, it's a balancing act. And I get, and I feel people that they don't know what to do. And it's obviously totally different if you hate your job. Yeah. Right? If you hate your job. That's, this is a totally different thing. If it's a brain suck where I felt like I'd worked really hard to be in the position that I was. And it was actually, there was some good I could pull from it. So I didn't want to take one away, but at the end of the day, my, and like yours that we're talking about here, your overall financial outlook encompasses everything. 
it encompasses income, investment, encompasses all these things, right? Yeah. We view it too much in society as one or the other. I either am a real estate investor, I have a job, or I am a business owner, right, job. And I look at it like it, it's wealth and financial independence and freedom is a journey. It's not an event. And you can't look at it so black and white because that, that's a question I get all the time. Should I quit my job? And I'm like, I, well, do you have income? Do you have, I, I don't, right? Know, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's like, what are your goals? What are you trying to achieve? But either way, you should never do just one. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Ever. If yeah, you have a yeah. job and you're not investing in real estate or anything else, you're missing 50% of the entire journey. Yeah. And even if you love your job, you should be doing everything you can on the side to create financial independence. Yeah. You don't have to hate your job. And so then you get into financial dependence. It's just people that hate their job. It's like, there's a little more uh, desire there. Exactly. Yeah. They've got more of a fire under them, Yes, um, exactly. which uh, I don't know where I get it. Right. Maybe it's my, I think it's my dad that his, his work ethic, because he started his own business at the age of 14. You know, he, he's uh he owns his own pest control company. So um, went out working with him when I was young and kind of learned the value of hard work through him. Um, but some people might, when they, when they see people with full-time jobs who, who have an income that they can live off of and do okay with, it's not as easy to just, you know, put in the hard work and effort into um, something like a storage facility if you don't necessarily need it. Um, but it's just something that for us, we absolutely want our kids to be taken care of and our, hopefully our kids' kids. And, you know, through the laundromat, I take my little boy up there now. He gets fruit snacks out of the vending machine. He helps me sweep on the weekends. We have a cleaning lady that comes in during the week, but um, it's teaching them the value of hard work and, and him seeing a physical asset that is, you know, this family's that he can take part in and, and kind of learn the value of hard work as he grows up. So it's not only um, the financial savings vehicle, but also teaching life lessons to our kids too. So I think that's, that's equally as important. I couldn't agree more. I, there's nothing, you know, at the end of the day, teaching your kids how to be in more control of their lives. Um, right. That's a big thing. It's like, you know, for me, I, I'm the same way with you. I obviously could retire and I obviously am doing the opposite of that. Um, yeah. doubling up and keep going. And I find that generally people that are really successful, they drive themselves and they're willing to do it. They have that work ethic where they're going to work, right? It's not just a point to not work. Right. And yeah. I, I think financial freedom isn't the freedom to do nothing. It's the freedom to do more. And there's people that embody that and they go out and do it. And that really, really helps you out when you're starting. And I, you know, grew up in a place where hard work was the most desired achievement you could ever have, right? It was yeah. just like, whoever's the hardest worker is, is the best. It yeah. was such a valued thing. It was just like, that was the top of, uh, top you could do. And um, I'm really grateful for that. I'm really great. And then you're right. That's something I want to teach my kids. Yeah. And I want to make sure that they know uh, yeah. because it's not just about hard work, but the, obviously the creativity of it. Instead of making excuses, you went out, you figured something out, you made a deal, you got owner carry done, you didn't have the money, you didn't need it. Now you're working hard on that on your side, you got your job, you got your family, you're building it out, you're creating more financial independence, and you're creating an overall process strategy 
that is repeatable right. and pass on, right? Yeah. And that's what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. We're super blessed and fortunate to be in the position we're in, but um, yeah, we're working at it every day for sure. Well, and anybody can do it. I mean, it's absolutely the shocking thing. It's there's so many of these opportunities out there. It blows my mind. It yeah. really does. There's so yeah. many storage facilities. And we're in a time right now where I get people, it was crazy. It was crazy yeah. the last few years. That's not the same anymore. It yeah. changed. It's yeah. done. Exactly. And owners that have small facilities in smaller markets, stupid money's not buying them anymore. Mm-hmm. You can't do it. They don't get to sell it at some crazy number that doesn't make sense. They don't get it. It's gone. Banks aren't going to lend to them. Right. Private capital's not flowing in. So now, if you're looking at deals solely on the cost, those are back. And yeah. if you compare that to also the upside, you get a deal like yours. Yeah. Now, the problem is most people want it their way. I don't want to deal there. I want to deal in my city or I want to deal in this location. I want it to be a bigger city. Um, and you know the market doesn't care at all what you want. Exactly. But um it's, you know, you can figure it out. You can make it work. And I think this story is just awesome. I love what you've done. Great deal breakdown. Thank you for sharing it with us. Um, where can people go to watch you on your journey, man? Like how, how can people see more of what you're doing learn more from you? Yeah. Yeah. So we're, I'm kind of slowly growing uh, a social presence for us, but I'm on TikTok, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a millennial. So you could find us on TikTok. We call ourselves the storage mat. Um, post videos on there. So you can message me on TikTok. Um, I also have an Instagram called the storage mat. That's pretty, pretty new. So there's, there's not much of a following there, but that's probably the two best ways to, to get in direct contact with me. Awesome. Well, we can uh, add those, those in the show notes and uh, dude, thank you for coming. Thank you for the deal walkthrough. Appreciate it. I'm so excited for you. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Thanks really for having well me. Structured. Well, yeah. really well structured. You did Appreciate it. I learned from the best. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, man. Thanks. Appreciate it, man.